Welcome to Conversations at Mount Vernon's Washington Library. The Fred W. Smith National Library for the Study of George Washington at Mount Vernon serves as the premier resource for all who are interested in the study of George Washington and the revolutionary and founding eras. Every year, the library hosts numerous scholars who share our dedication to generate and disseminate new knowledge about all things Washington. The library's founding director, Dr. Douglas Bradburn, has the opportunity to sit down with these scholars to explore their research, and we are so excited to share those conversations with you. Today's guest is Dr. John Fea. Dr. Fea is professor of American history and chair of the history department at Messiah College. He was a research fellow during the 2015-2016 academic year here at the Washington Library. He is the author of four books concerning American history and is currently working on a fifth about religious history in the United States. Today, he will discuss the research he did while at the library, and you'll hear about the Presbyterians in early Pennsylvania, how the American Revolution affected daily religious life, and George Washington's relationship with religion. For more information about Dr. Fea and his work, you can also visit his blog, The Way of Improvement Leads Home at thewayofimprovement.com. And now, Drs. Fea and Bradburn. All right, welcome. This is Doug Bradburn. I'm the founding director of the Fred W. Smith National Library for the Study of George Washington here at Mount Vernon. It's a beautiful day today. This is Conversations at the Washington Library, and I'm joined today by John Fea. Welcome, John. Great to be here, Doug. It's been a good month here at the library. John Fee has been a fellow here at the library. We'll talk a little bit about our research fellowship. John Fee is also a well-known personality in the early American world. He's got a blog that's read by thousands of people every day wanting to know what John is up to. Uh, he's, of course, a great historian, and we'll talk about his work as well. So how do you do it, John? How are you so productive? I mean, you, that blog... You've got things rolling out all the time. Now, I, I thought you would come here to the library and do a lot of research. I'm concerned that you spent a lot of time blogging. Well, first of all, when, when Doug gave that introduction, you didn't see him rolling his eyes with every <laughs> word that he said. But, but um, first of all, let me debunk that idea that I didn't get any work done here. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of the blogging that I do, uh, I did in my wonderful accommodations here in the DeVos house. Uh, night and in the early mornings mm -hmm. uh, that's probably why I sometimes roll in a little late uh, mm -hmm. in the morning because I'm, I'm up early blogging but no the blog has become a uh, you know a sort of alternative way of expressing myself as a historian maybe not alternative but an unusual way mm -hmm. I've embraced it I've embraced it as part of my professional uh, identity uh, as a historian and um you know, someone once said to me, well, you're using it to be a public intellectual. Like, I don't like that idea. I don't like the phrase public intellectual yeah. simply because, like, my readers of my blog are, you know, I'm not, I'm writing for popular audiences. I'm not writing, you know, for, for you know, like the Greenwich Village crowd in the 1950s and, you know, <laughs> in these thought magazines that no one reads. So I think the social media outlet of the blog has allowed me to do that yeah. and express myself as kind of maybe a public scholar might be a better word mm. I don't know mm. uh, in in ways that historians have not really tapped the full potential hasn't been tapped yet so so I see it as part of who I am as a historian not as a hobby yeah. not as a you know fun thing to do to send pictures of uh, you know my kids out or whatever or to tell my parents you know where I'm speaking but 
as part of my professional, you know, job. Well, so from what I understand, you started the blog as a as a way to help promote the first book. Uh, and the name of the blog is The Way of Improvement Leads Home. Yeah. The name of the first book is The Way of Improvement Leads Home. And we'll talk about that book because yeah. I think it's an important one. Yeah. But uh, but how did it evolve from sort of, okay, this is, yeah. is going to be about that book right, to, right. you know what, I've got a lot I want to say about yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah. My, uh, that's exactly right. Uh, University of Pennsylvania Press published my first book. Uh, it's called The Way of Improvement Leads Home. It's a biography, and we can talk about that, of, a, of an 18th century journalist, diarist named Philip Vickers Phidias. So if you go back, uh, Penn, Penn approached me, the marketing people approached me and said, you should start a blog about the book. Frankly, I think they say this to every one of their authors, and hardly any of them take them up on it, but, but I did. And uh, so if you look back and look at the earlier posts, it's all these very specific things about, you know, on page 11, I point this out, you yeah. know, that are sort of these, these very specific things. Yeah. But then, you know, you get these analytics and you look at people and people are like actually reading this, yeah. you know, not many. But, um, but so then I started writing sort of, you know, more broadly. Uh, I'm very interested in sort of religion and politics, both historically and contemporary in a contemporary fashion, which I've been getting a lot of mileage. If you read the blog, you know, I've been getting a lot of mileage out of this political it's, election. Well, it's an yeah. ongoing uh, yeah. aspect so of American life. So. Yeah. So, so what if I, and so at some point, I can't really remember when, at some point I said, um, you know, what if I use the blog as a way of, of bringing historical perspective to yeah. contemporary events, maybe engaging in, in the academic field a little bit, interviewing authors. So I've always had a sort of love of the kind of journalistic, uh, I've always wanted to be a journalist, you know, and maybe I went down the wrong path. So, so this is a way of kind of producing like a sort of daily rag, if you will. Yeah. Of, of things yeah. that historians or people interested in history might be interested, might be, you know, want to read. So John Fia wanted to be a journalist. Uh, two days ago, he published in Fox, on foxnews.com an, an op-ed piece. So I don't know if you wanted to be a journalist or a commentator. Yeah. A journalist who gets their own column is sort yeah. of like the golden, yeah. the golden goose. Yeah. That's what you wanted to be. I grew up, I grew up in the 70s, uh, you know, and early 80s, kind of, you know, I came of age, if you will, in high school in the 80s. Um, you know, I loved. Actually, I, I watched the movie All the President's Men with mm. uh, with who is it? Robert Redford and uh, Dustin, Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Before I read the book, and then I read the book. And I thought, man, this would be cool. You know, an investigative reporter breaking these big stories. Did you see yourself stuff. as as Robert yeah. Redford or Dustin Hoffman? You know, I don't even remember. Probably, <laughs> probably, yeah, probably Woodward. Who was he? He was Redford. He was yeah. Redford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but um, you know. Uh, so I, I, I love that kind of stuff, sort of investigating things. I was the editor of my high school newspaper. Um, you know, so I, unlike, unlike a lot of my friends who wanted to become uh, sports uh, stars or whatever, um, I wanted to be a journalist. Mm. And, uh, you know, things changed a little bit. But yeah. I still see myself in many ways doing sort of, you know, investigation, reporting, and, and sort of telling stories, right? Except they're about dead people rather than living people. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so you wanted to be a writer of some kind, clearly a journalist telling stories. Uh, you're from Morris County, New Jersey. You're a proud graduate of <laughs> Montville Township High School. Go Mustangs! Fact, you're no Mustangs. In fact, you're a member of the Montville Township High School Hall of Fame, inducted in 2010. 
and I understand it wasn't for your lacrosse yeah. prowess, it was for your publication. I was a lacrosse goalie, I wasn't that great, um, so yeah, clearly was not, you know, I think I was one of the very first people at the relatively new high school Hall of Fame, I was one of the very first people who was inducted, who was not a, an athlete. You know, I covered the athletes, I was a sports editor for a year of my high school paper, but yeah, my AP U.S. history teacher actually nominated me. This was right after the Way of Improvement Leads Home came out. Um, I had been doing a lot of work, too, with the New Jersey Historical Commission. So I think they thought, you know, good Jersey boy makes it good getting funded by the government and these kinds of things. <laughs> so, yeah, I got inducted. I had to go to a ceremony. My parents came. I went back to the high school. I got a plaque with my picture on it sitting in the rotunda of the high school. So, yeah, it was fun. Uh, so... Where does the interest in religious history come from? Sure, um, I think like a lot of us, we, uh, we, we write about things, I'm not saying everybody does this, we write about things that, that are either have meaning to us or part of our biography or you know something like that. So uh, in some ways, as, uh, first of all, I'm just fascinated by religion, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that I, um, I myself am a, a Christian and had, I've had a really kind of, some might say tortured, others might say interesting, others might say, you know, uh, um, intriguing, whatever. Uh, but, but I've had an interesting kind of journey, spiritual journey in my life. I was raised a sort of working class Catholic, uh, grandson of, of immigrant Slovak and Italian, North Jersey. I mean, you know, it was textbook kind of stuff. The only thing is I went to public school, not Catholic school, <laughs> you know, so, uh, I guess when I was about 15 or 16, my parents had a conversion experience to evangelical Christianity. And, uh, and you know, as, as best as I could explain it, I, I guess I did as well. I mean, I've been sort of wrestling with what that meant as a 16-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, still not quite sure, you know, what, what it all meant. Um, and maybe that's a conversation for another podcast, right? But, but uh, you can talk yeah. to me. This is a safe yeah. place, John. You can but, let um, me know. Yeah, but but <laughs> I guess it was my own sort of spiritual journey, religious journey, that got me very interested in sort of using history to make sense of, you know, first of all, you know, I read sometimes I read I read a lot about evangelicals, so you know what this strange world of a sort of working class Catholic kid, yeah. first generation college student who then enters this kind of evangelical subculture that in many ways is, you know, at the center of, of, of American culture, at least historically. Mm. So I think that is what got me really interested in religious history, trying to understand sort of who I was and, and, and where I, you know, what my family's story was. Interestingly enough, I became a historian um, I thought I was going to go into the ministry for a while, um, so I went to I went to a seminary, divinity school, and while I was there, I realized that first of all the ministry is not for me. I'm not cut out for it, but I, I love the kind of uh, religious history, church history, as we called it in divinity school classes. Mm -hmm. So I was I found myself taking you know I, I got an MDiv and then in the Master of Divinity. And then, so, you know, all the electives I was taking in like church history instead of, you know, how to do a funeral or how to <laughs> how to conduct a wedding yeah. or pastoral counseling and all this stuff. So I realized that the ministry track wasn't for me. So I applied and, and headed off to graduate school in, yeah. in American history. Yeah. yeah. Now you've written also a little bit about uh, the craft of being a historian. Yeah. And you also uh, talked about it as a calling. I mean, yeah. I think there's yeah. a, it, it's a moral 
It can be yeah. it, it, it's, it, when it's done well. There's yeah. a moral responsibility yeah. Yeah. to try to strive to find the truth, yeah. to work through yeah. things in a complicated way. Talk a little bit about sure. that. Sure. Well, I think all historians have a calling. It, it, it could be you know, usually secular one, right? Yeah. To yeah. to serve humanity. You know, if you want to talk in very vague terms, right? To serve the country, whatever it might be. Not just self-promoting. It's not just about self-promoting. I, I got to address this self-promoting <laughs> thing because you brought the, you brought this up several times now since I've been here at Mount Vernon. But we can get to that. Uh, I'm going to do a post on that today. To I've got a lot to yeah. learn. That's all. Um, but no, I think historians are. Sorry, I think it was John Hope Franklin who said historians are the conscience of the nation. Right? I mean, I love that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think we have a unique yeah. kind of when you want a calling, vocation, responsibility uh, to uh, to to serve uh, you know the country, the nation, the world. Uh, and, and bring historical thinking uh, to contemporary events. So yeah. I think any historian has that sort of kind of yeah. calling in a secular way. As a person of faith, I've also written uh, in a much more sort of spiritual theological sense of the idea of calling, which actually is an idea that actually goes back to the Reformation, Luther, Calvin, and others. Um, you know, what are you called to do? What is, you know, in my personal faith, what is God calling me to do and how does that fit with his plan for my life you know i sound like a like a commercial what is good i sound like norman vincent peel or something like that right <laughs> but but i mean so so I, i've sort of i've sort of tried to reflect on what that means um you know for me as a person of faith with one world in the, the faith community with another world in the kind of historical profession so i've written a little bit about that no, I, I, I love that perspective. I think a lot of us who, uh, who, who become professional historians, who get to that stage where you decide, I'm going to go to graduate school yeah. and I'm going to spend this time thinking and learning and learning to think historically. Uh, and the question you're always getting from people is, what are you going to do with that, teach? You know, what are you going to do? And, and yeah, you want to do something with it, but it's, it's also really appealing to with this this idea that it is sort of a noble pursuit, a pursuit that uh, you could be doing other things. You could be trying to make as much right, money right, as you possibly right. could make immediately rather than striving to achieve this. Uh, you know, so it's a, but I don't think everybody has really thought it through in the terms you have or yeah. thought about it, yeah. uh, you know, in, as an interesting fashion in that way. But, uh, but I, I appreciate that perspective uh, very much. And, I'm glad there's somebody out there who's uh, who's writing about it in those yeah, ways. Good. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the actual history here. So uh, Philip Vithi Philip Vickers Fithian. Philip, you got so it. Try to say you that fast. Everyone, no one can. Yeah. Fithian's journal is what everybody who's yeah. an early Americanist, at least, and probably back in the day, uh, a lot more undergraduates would would be exposed to it. His journal when he's in Virginia. He's just mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. guy from wherever he's from, New England or New Jersey. 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 He's a Jersey, Jersey boy. <laughs> and he goes down and he lives with Robert Carter, one of the great families, and, mm -hmm. and he, he talks about Virginia society, and, and that's, that's, that's the guy you wrote yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and that's how I was sort of, exp well, actually, that's not initially how I got into Fidian. I was actually working in grad school, again, back to my interest in religion. Um, I was working with Ned Landsman, who was very, at uh, SUNY Stony Brook, who was uh, very interested in sort of the relationship between uh, the Scottish Enlightenment and religion and so forth. So, you know, I, I, he said, he said, you know, have you read Fithian's journal? He was a good Presbyterian, you know. Um, so I said, no. So I, I 
I read the Virginia stuff and I was reading the Virginia stuff. I was, you know, I was in that, I was, I always perceived myself, I don't as much anymore, but I always perceived myself. I went through the McNeil Center for Early American Studies. I always perceived myself as kind of a mid-Atlantic historian. Yeah. You know, I was going to defend yeah. the mid-Atlantic against like the yeah. Cavaliers and the Yankees. Yeah. And this was important. Well, that was, um, yeah, your time, right? That was still yeah. very close to the whole, like, don't forget about the Yeah, Wayne Bodel was writing about yeah. well, this. Ned, Michael, Ned, Ned Michael Zuckerman was, yeah. you know, the Motley yeah. Middle and all yeah. this kind That's of stuff. That's more like what America looks exactly. like today. So that exactly. must be more important. And I was right there yeah. at the height of, it was then the yeah. Philadelphia center this was the conversation in many ways so yeah. you know i as i read Fithian's virginia diary which i think i argue in the, in the intro to the book you know was very you're right it was a classic of a certain generation i think it was a generation before us yeah but a certain generation this was you know standard reading for understanding right. plantation life on the, on the at the yeah. time of the revolution yeah why not take a guy who's yeah. from new jersey who's there for one yeah. year and and listen to him about what plantation right. life Yeah, right, like. exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> but no, as I was reading the book, I thought, you know, there's a story here about him in New Jersey, too. And, yeah. uh, you know, back to autobiography, you know, I, yeah. you know, I'm a Jersey guy. I like the, the fact that he was from Jersey. He goes to Princeton, right? No one wrote about that. There's a connection there with John Witherspoon, this, this clergyman and statesman, only minister to sign the Declaration of Independence. And just a rich kind of spiritual uh, uh, diary, reading habits. Yeah, um, yeah he's reading you know, a lot he's of He's constantly right? reading, but not only that, he's reading, you know, Enlightenment thinkers and so forth right. in this very remote rural corner of southern New Jersey. Yeah. And then I was in the Princeton Library fiddling around, and, and I noticed he had some papers, and it, it ends up uh, there were about seven bound volumes of papers of his. Amazing. Uh, that no one had ever touched. There was an edited collection back at the turn of the 20th yeah. century. But, but you know, so so I said, there's more here than just that one year. Yeah, that's so, great. So I've been criticized a little bit in the book for not spending as much time on Virginia, but it was yeah. really only one year of his life. Well, you know? well uh, so this is a side question then. So he was only here for one year. How how good of a critic or a good good of an observer yeah. was he of Virginia in, the, in that one year? Or, or did well, he have all kinds of... Strange ideas. I mean, you're the expert on Virginia, but it was yeah. it was it was fascinating to see. For me, it was much more fascinating to see his uh, the way he brought this kind of northern sort of Presbyterian sort of you know yeah. uh, uh, frugal Spartan kind of sensibilities. Yeah, yeah, sensibilities to bear. And and what I argue was, you know, like I you know I won't go off on this, but like I, like many sort of evangelicals in American history. Uh, you know, he quickly accommodates, you know, <laughs> he quickly accommodates yeah. to the culture. He, uh, you know, by the, by the time he leaves, yeah. he loves, you know, he learns how to dance yeah. and he, he, uh, you know, he, he almost like, you know, he has great conversations about Anglicanism yeah. and sees That's similar you patterns. Don't want him to be, and, yeah, you don't want him yeah. to be that sort of dour. You know, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, so it's, yeah. so it's, a, it is, a, it is an interesting, yeah. you know, uh, a take on it. Now, of course, you know, I think he gets, you know, he, he does bring a kind of anti-Anglican sensibility there. You know, are these people really Christians? Yeah. He gets very, very worried when, when he thinks Robert Carter III may not be supporting the revolution, mm -hmm. although eventually he does. Yeah. Carter does, and then Fidian sort of breathes this sigh of relief, you know, like, oh, okay. But, yeah. So it was a fascinating uh, account. Yeah. 
Well, well, so you've been in Virginia for a month, so maybe you feel like you can write a critique of the society. Jersey boy, yeah. Christian, you know, <laughs> coming down. Is it Northern Virginia? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if your state. hearers will want me want to hear my, my criticism of Mount Vernon yeah. and, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. we don't, we certainly don't want that. No, right? no. So, well, let's talk. I feel like Vivian. I feel like I've had a great time. I've been welcomed here. Yeah. That's true, by the way. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, so the next book is really, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say you became famous for it, because obviously you, know, <laughs> you're, you're, you, you had a lot of uh, um, success with the fifth year. Yeah, I think that's and, fair, and, though. You know, but but famous the, is a little bit of a, I'm not comfortable with, but, it, but it, that was the thing. More that well-known. This yeah. is a book called Was America Founded as a Christian Nation? A Historical Introduction, Westminster John Knox Press, 2011. This book was a choice academic outstanding title, Religion Book of the Year, Gold Medalist of the Association of Independent Publishers, and more importantly than all those things combined, it was one of the three <laughs> finalists for the George Washington Book Prize, which of course is given out in part by Mount Vernon in partnership with Washington College and the Gilder Lehrman uh, Institute. And, uh, and that's really an extraordinary thing. So you are, uh, I mean, that, that really is a great thing. Uh, talk a little bit about, about that, about the book yeah. being awarded uh, yeah. or you know recognized as one of the best yeah. books in, well i think in, it may have been a slow year that year for books on <laughs> american revolution but who, who were the other finalists uh, uh, it was maya jasanoff uh that was well, the winner who was the winner of blake and i some exile uh, uh, uh the loyalists the loyalists, travel yeah, around the world yeah, yeah. kind of thing yeah um, and then uh, benjamin irvin's book okay. on the continental congress of and myself so there yeah. were three now it sounds like you have like there's like seven or something. Well, there's seven this year. Yeah, we've expanded yeah. the sort okay. of finalist list, partly okay. because there's just so many great books, yeah, and, and, sure, and it's sure. important to recognize yeah. them. And we don't give the finalists anything, you know, except, right, right. except the trip to Melbourne. Well, that's what I thought. My wife said to me, you know, it's a $50,000 prize. And my yeah. wife said, you know, so do you get a cut of that, even if you come in third? I said, I don't think so. I think it's like, it's like one of these primaries, you know, winner take all. You know, <laughs> no, that's not fair. You got to come to Mount Vernon. No, that's true. That's you got true. to dress up in your tuxedo. I got to put on a tux, which yeah. I had to rent because I don't own one. Yeah. Um, came here, got to be out on the lawn overlooking the Potomac. My editor from Westminster, John Knox, came that's an interesting story uh, uh, yeah. I wanted to publish because the book uh, I wanted to speak to people who actually thought America was founded as a Christian nation yeah. rather than you know uh, publish it with some university press or something yeah it's really not for read. academics no I mean, it's, it's a popular it's a scholarly yeah. study but yeah. it's not yeah. intended your yeah. audience is not primarily yep. sort of and I made it the way you married quarterly. Yeah, I made a deliberate choice to write it that way. I made a deliberate choice to, to choose a Christian publisher. Yeah. You know, I don't know, maybe I committed some kind of career suicide by doing that. No one has ever heard of Westminster John Knox well, Press. It's clear that you have. But uh, been yeah, I mean, it paid suicide. off. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, it worked. It worked. It worked. Yeah. But um, yeah. so yeah, yeah, my editor came. Uh, you know. It was a big deal for the press. Uh, you know, they sent me this wonderful bouquet of flowers when they learned about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'm going to get like sort of sappy here, I guess. But you know, for me, kind of first generation, kind of working class kid to put on a tux and walk around and shake Samuel Alito's hand. That's you know, no no politics there. I'm doing Supreme yeah. Court justice. You know, yeah. um, you know, it's just like wow. Yeah. You know, this is this is just it's neat. This is just really neat. I mean, it was it was a great experience. Yeah. Got to did I say I got to climb up to the cupola and look yeah. out and uh, so yeah. So so that book yeah. really kind of uh, put me on the map at least in maybe not necessarily among historians. Interestingly enough, the book was never reviewed in any any academic journal. It's you know it, uh, it, the the 
It's an interesting problem, and I'm going to yeah. talk to some yeah. of the, our friends at, at some of the journals because yeah. the prize itself is intended to recognize books that are scholarly right. in nature and make right. a contribution, right. or at least have a, have a scholarly apparatus or based yeah. on original yeah. research, yeah. Um, but that are readable and, right. Uh, right. and accessible right. by right. an educated public. Yeah. Um, but some of them, including winners, have not had right. academic reviews at no. all. No academic. Uh, well, there's a shock because yeah. some of them are, I mean, Nick Bunker's book last year, right. which won uh, uh, Empire on the Edge, is a great study of the coming of the revolution. Pulitzer finalists. And Pulitzer yeah. finalists, yeah. and it hasn't been reviewed in an academic journal either. Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't know what that means. I didn't bother me at all because I really wasn't writing yeah. for the academic. But, you know, academics love the book the book does very very well in classrooms yeah um you know daniel walker howe john murren uh you know they all endorsed it um you know good people so well one of the reasons of course academics will, will hold their noses with this book is the title the title is a yes no question which yeah, is yeah. was america founded as right, a christian right, nation it's sort right. of like well you need yeah, a whole book yeah, yeah. for that uh, just uh, answer it already well, you know so, how marketing works um, <laughs> I think my title was originally something boring, like, yeah. you know, religion and the founding fathers or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they came up with that title. I said, let's go for it. Um, I do a lot of, I, I, I actually, I should plug this. Uh, the revised edition is coming out in September. Oh, great. Uh, Congratulations. New, yeah, thanks. Right. It's a brand new, brand, I, I like the cover much better. There's like an, a, an image on the cover now instead so of the a picture of you at Mount Vernon with your uh, tux on? Yeah. No, <laughs> actually, no, you know something? They asked me if they could put like finalists for the George Washington Book oh, yeah, Prize absolutely. on it. So, yeah. so it's cool. Yeah. I've seen the title. I'll send you a copy of it. Good. Or go to the blog, uh, wayofimprovement.com yeah. and, um, and, and look at it. Well, you can send me a copy of the book. You yeah, can do that. I will. I will. And then you'll invite me back to give a lecture. I will. It's in the fall. More George. More George. <laughs> so the great thing about the book is it, it, it is an effort to really engage in a scholarly way right, right. with this interesting yeah. aspect of American cultural life, American uh, intellectual life. There's It tells the story of the idea of America as right. a Christian nation. Right. Uh, it looks at... Uh, different uh, texts, great texts of the mm -hmm. founding, the Declaration mm -hmm. of Independence, the Constitution, and said, and kind of questions, are these Christian documents? Mm -hmm. How are they? How aren't they? Mm -hmm. It looks at the founding fathers, of, uh, you know, right. themselves as, were, yeah. the, were these people Christians? How did that affect what they were doing? Uh, so we talk a little bit about the, yeah. the structure of the book and the argument. Well, again, you're, you nailed it. I mean, those, those are the three parts. Um, you know, I think, there, there's a major movement right now in, in uh, as many people know, uh, in, in sort of Christian right, if you want to call it that, circles to try to promote this idea. If we could only, you know, this, uh, this, this language of kind of restoration, and yeah. if we could just get back to the Christian roots of the country, uh, those yeah. are the kind of people that I really want to read the book. I also actually want people to read the book. You know, there's been a lot of, it, actually, it sort of, generous here but you know sort of questionable books with big trade presses about things like the heretical origins of you know or, the, or these these people all the founders yeah. were deists and religion yeah. was unimportant yeah. and yeah. you know they, so there, there's been there's, this extreme yeah, polls yeah, kind of, exactly yeah, and so, so I tried to I tried to sort of you know a historical introduction is the subtitle and I, I used that subtitle that was mine 
simply because I'm approaching this not to promote any kind of political agenda. Right. Um, you know, people on the left and the right read the book. Some guy at my daughter's soccer game last year came up to me, a, a evangelical Christian and conservative Republican, and said, I read your book, and like, one minute I was kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I was like, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you saying this? You know? you know, and then the next page I was like, ah, amen, and then the next page I was like, I don't, you know, so, yeah, so a lot yeah, of people just yeah. don't understand how historians work. Yeah. You know, yeah, they think right. this is yeah. going to be a polemic yeah. um, one yeah. way or the other. I did a lot of radio, and the first question always is, you know, by the, by the conservative talk show host or even the liberal talk show host, you know, yes or no, right? What's yeah. the well, answer? In, your, in their defense, it, it is a yes oh, yeah. or no question yeah. in the title. Absolutely. So, and then so they're I say, ask you that. And then I give academics a bad reputation, yeah. you know, by saying, well, it's much, it depends. It's much more nuanced. It's complicated. It depends how you define Christian. How well, you define, you know, so it's, it's, well, it, it's a question you could apply today. It's sort of like, is the United States a Christian nation? Right, so right. Like, in yeah. some ways, yeah. in some ways well, not, it's, I mean, know. yeah, do you mean demographically? Yeah. Yeah. Do you mean uh, yeah. the Constitution? Do right. you, you know? The purpose of, yeah, um, so it's, it's a really complicated, messy kind, yeah. of, kind of issue. And, and what I argue, and what I've been arguing, I think I argue this in the book, I argue it definitely in the revised edition, and when I'm out there speaking about the book, you know, it's really taking a, 20th, a late 20th century debate Yeah political debate and superimposing that debate on the founders right. who weren't having yeah. it. You yeah, know? that wasn't and, their debate. Yeah, it wasn't their debate. So so that's why it's... So I try to I try to also start the book off by talking about what does it mean to think historically yeah. about these questions? Mm -hmm. And then I spin that off into a little book I, called Why Study History, which kind of expands on that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, uh, well, we got to talk about George Washington. Yeah, book. yeah. I mean, clearly we're at Mount Vernon. Uh, it's a great chapter, and, and it looks at George Washington, tries to get at mm -hmm. his his spirituality, his right. religion. Uh, talk about George yeah. Washington. What is his story? Sure, yeah. I mean, here at Mount Vernon, of course, I play second fiddle on that issue to Mary Thompson, who's written a definitive book, uh, In the Hands of a Good Providence. I think I got the title right. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not In the Hands of a Divine Providence. Yeah, good, yeah something to that. But yeah. she's written at the University of Virginia Press. Go get that book and read it. That's your starting point. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so I try to wrestle with the founders and their religions. I have a chapter on Washington. And, you know, Washington, I think, is the hardest of all the founders to figure out mm. simply because he doesn't wear his religion on his sleeve, as most of your, you know, diehard Mount Vernon listeners will know that rarely mentions Jesus Christ in uh, in his writings like twice in his writings yeah. and they're not even they're not even affirmative you know he's yeah. not even affirming that you know saying I, and I believe in Jesus Christ it's just these kind of vague references yeah um, one of them's in an Indian communication yeah yeah to the yeah. Delaware Indian yeah. sort of I recommend the religion of Jesus Christ you know, yeah. it's kind of you know it's an endorsement it is, it is. I mean, but it's an endorsement that virtually everyone in the 18th century would have made, except maybe Tom Paine or, yeah. you know, someone, well, would, yeah, someone yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. you know. But yeah, uh, especially when you're dealing with Native Americans, right? right? I right. mean, so, uh, so, so, yeah, he, you know, he doesn't take communion in church. Why is that? You know, there's this wonderful example when he's president, he goes, I think it's either Christ Church or St. Peter's, the two of the guys, or St. Peter's, in, uh, Peter's. Uh, when he's in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. Is it St. Peter's? 
the second Anglican church, I, I've been there dozens of times too, and I'm blanking on it. But he's there, and the, you know, the minister says, you know, gives this scathing sermon about like public officials who don't take communion, and, mm-hmm. and Washington apparently gets very upset and decides never to go back to the church again on Communion Sunday. There's stories of him going to Pohit Church uh, and, and leaving before communion. Martha always stays, but he goes back. But on the other hand, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a vestryman in this church. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, we talked a little bit about, we've talked a little bit about this. He, he reads the uh, Book of Common Prayer every day, so he affirms certain things. Um, but he's just, we just don't know. I mean, the best way to describe Washington is, uh, I think he's just an 18th century yeah. Anglican. And I think we need to be careful when we put him in some some kind of contemporary box. You know, yeah. He's not going to be like a, he's not going to be like on the board or the elder board of the local uh, mega church, yeah. evangelical yeah. mega church. Yeah, right. the well, well, and there are other, there are other founders, as you say, who are much more clearly yeah. a, a Christian. I mean, right. you know, uh, Patrick Henry is right. part. You know, he's founding Hampton Sydney College. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's a that's yeah. a Presbyterian yeah. school with an intention, mm-hmm. a theological school as yeah. well. So there, I mean, yeah, there are I think, guys who are doing I think that you can as make well, it comp- and Washington's not doing No, that. no. I think you can make a compelling case that people like Henry, John Jay, I have a chapter on this in the book, John Witherspoon, yeah. obviously, yeah. Uh, um, Sam Adams, uh, you know, very kind of driven by evangelicals, and that doesn't necessarily translate always into the way that the modern-day Christian right, you know, I mean, Sam Adams is an anti-federalist, for goodness sake, you know, and so is Henry, and, they, and mm-hmm. some of it is based, not all of it, but some of it may be even based on their... Yeah. Faith, you know, yeah. so uh, so yeah, but Washington is not. Um, yeah. You know, Washington, he's an enigma, and I don't know if we'll ever figure him out unless you guys here at Mount Vernon go find some more documents that are yeah. hidden in attics somewhere by them. Secret yeah. texts. There's a, there's a lot of fake stuff on Washington's religion yeah, too out there. there. I don't want to get into that, but uh, especially well, this prayer that he apparently uttered. Um, yeah. uh, I can't remember the context. Well, there's the Valley Forge prayer. Well, that, well the Valley Forge thing yeah. is an interesting one. I know a lot of people yeah. who are friends of Mount Vernon uh, yeah. love that yeah. uh, story. Uh, they they love the painting, right. uh, you know, right. of, of Washington yeah. on his knees at Valley yeah. Forge. Yeah. Now, you would say, and you say in your book, it's it, it's likely that Washington prayed yeah. at Valley yeah. Forge. Yeah, but that sort yeah. of folk story about yeah. the person who saw him I mean, praying that comes from woods. Mason Lock Weems, yeah. and you know it, it kind of Cherry blossoms Creek. into blossoms into this nineteenth uh, yeah. century kind of. Yeah, I think it's in like it finds its way into like the McGuffey readers. And, yeah. yeah, you know, and, um, but I think you know to be fair. I think the painting, you know, there's all kinds of editing. Frank Grizzard, the one of the editors of the, uh, yeah. one of the older editors of the, I don't know if he's still editing anymore, of the Washington Papers, wrote a nice piece sort of debunking that picture. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, is that his name Frank? Did I get yeah, him? Frank, Frank Grizzard. Grizzard. Yeah. Grizzard. Right. Yeah. I called him Grizzard. Yeah. 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 Okay. I don't know. Um, but uh, but but so yeah. At the same time, Washington certainly would have probably prayed at Valley yeah, Forge. I mean, there's stories of him had, being a man of service. prayer. They must have had services. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, so it's, you know, some ways yeah. the debate's a little bit silly.
Yeah, uh, interesting. So if I could be critical, which I like to be, a little yeah. little critical, no, and people on go the ahead. edge. Now, John Fia is a controversial figure. He's a courageous figure <laughs> in the field, uh, you know, boldly putting out his ideas. Some would say I'm not even in the field, uh, you know, stop. because of this. He would, he would say that. He got a, he got a chip on his shoulder. Like no, a lot of no. these, A lot of these brilliant types, you know, they're very touchy at points. No. But so so I just, I just want to, you know, I'll be slightly critical on what is a great book. You know, uh, it's a finalist for the George Washington Prize, and so it's clearly a fantastic. So that doesn't book. make it untouchable. Right? It doesn't it's make it untouchable. <laughs> I, I wondered. So I kind of wondered why. Where was common sense? Where was Tom Paine in yeah. the study? Because you know, when I teach common sense and I taught common sense, the old, you know, the, the basic story you would say is like, look, no matter what Paine actually thought about Christianity, about religion, he's using the Bible in a lot of different ways. As a as a as a way to speak to a, a, a common people of America, mm-hmm. and that book was the most widely reproduced, the most widely read, probably the most important piece of reading that changed people's minds yeah, yeah. about about the possibilities of independence, the reason to kind of declare independence. Uh, so it's a it's really yeah. a phenomenon. Yeah. It's read in pulpits. It's yeah. all over the yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, what happened yeah. there? What, what, well. There's two. There's two kind of two or two topics that I regret not spending more time on, um, and I always get asked about this one. The first one, uh, the Freemasons. I don't talk about in the book, yeah. and, and everyone. That's I get a question. Yeah. I mean, I've done like dozens and dozens of talks on this yeah. book, and it's always Treaty of Tripoli, which we won't go in. Freemasons. Um, not a lot on pain, but then I wish I would have said something about more about pain. Yeah. I, it's a good critique you make of the book. Yeah. I mean, Payne's, Payne's rhetoric is deeply biblical, and we can have huge debates over whether or not he actually believed yeah. all that stuff. I don't think he did. Well, but demagogues um, are useful but, because but yeah. what is motivating people yeah. is, exactly. know, is just as important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Payne, yeah, so so I would have probably said a little bit more about Payne. I didn't uh, I didn't include him in the, uh, in the, the sort of founders, because I don't think he technically can be called one, didn't sign mm-hmm. one of the documents or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, fair enough. I mean, I mean, again, the the use of biblical language is all over the. In yeah. fact, uh, there was some studies done um, back in the eighties, and it's actually been updated a little bit since then in a few books. Uh, there was this Houston political scientist Donald Lutz mm-hmm. who said who did yeah. a study of all of the all of the um, references to texts that the yeah. founders used. And of course, the Bible was the most was 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 number one in terms of citations. Mm-hmm. Now, what I often say is to be fair, uh, you know, if you add up all of the, you know, references to the classics, Whig writers, Enlightenment thinkers, yeah. and so forth, it far exceeds the Bible. But yeah. the Bible, as a singular text, is the most cited. So it would make sense that Payne would yeah. use you would use this, uh, you know. And there's some who I think irresponsibly in contemporary culture today will appeal to, well, look at Thomas Paine used the Bible. Yeah. I mean, even he thought it was a Christian nation. And, yeah. You yeah. know, you want to say, well, you know, it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. And you hand him a copy of Age of Reason, which yeah. he writes later. And they're like, oh, you know, I didn't know this about pain. Whoops. You know? Yeah, whoops. <laughs> yeah, well. No, that's fair. That's a fair criticism. Well, it's, well whatever. It's, it's not, a, it's not, it or doesn't fair change. observation. Yeah. It doesn't change the book at all. I mean, it's yeah. just, I was just curious about it because I, I, mean, I know a lot about pain. But the, pain is an interesting subject to transition to your next project. The reason you're here at Mount Vernon yeah. because... You know, as you've talked about with me before, he's uh, you know, he's very much in league with the Presbyterians in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. In the moment, he's writing yeah. common sense to reform the government yeah. there, 
as part of that political faction. Mm -hmm. uh, so so yeah. these are his people. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I go that far and say you're his people, <laughs> but I don't think he's hanging out with them in the in the churches. The enemy, <laughs> yeah. the enemy of the right. my enemy is my <laughs> yeah. friend. Come yeah. on. No, I mean, Payne, Payne interestingly yeah. enough, and again, it, the reason why, for those of you not, uh, the, the, the listeners here not familiar, you know, Payne, we just referenced the age of reason, you know, yeah. he goes down as this scathing, uh, writes this scathing critique of Christianity in the 1790s, yeah. but by the time you get, you know, in 1776, when he's writing Common Sense, yeah. um, or when Common Sense comes out, at least, I assume he wrote it in sort of late 1775, right? But, well, but, uh, maybe he's like you. Uh, he just writes these things in yeah, the morning. He, and then they yeah, <laughs> he blogs. He's a blogger. Yeah. First blogger. No, uh, he's he's working together with John Witherspoon, yeah. you know, this yeah. conservative, uh, like, I, I hate to use that term to describe him as a more contemporary, um, you know, a, a sort of evangelical Presbyterian patriot. They're working together on the Pennsylvania Magazine. They're corresponding back and forth about their love of liberty and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, so so Payne is very much sees um, Presbyterians as uh, fellow revolutionaries. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at Pennsylvania, really, in 1776, the Presbyterian Party, quote unquote, has really captured uh, the assembly there. They're really driving the revolution. They've been driving the driving Pennsylvania politics since the mid-1760s when the, the famous election of 1764 in, in Pennsylvania when they drove the Quakers out of power. Now, the, the Quakers do come back. There's some fluctuation there. But by the time you get to 1776, they're, it's Presbyterians writing that famous Pennsylvania yeah. Constitution. Yeah. Which, you know, so many people, historians, talk about as yeah. the most democratic constitution. It's just a one-house legislature. Yeah. All, all males are no property requirements for voting. Elected judges. Um, elected judges. Yeah. You know, it's, you know what a model. Rights, you know, I mean, I don't know rights. how many op-eds someone like Gary Nash or whatever has written about that constitution. Yeah. But, but then smack dab in the middle of it, yeah. you have this, you know, you cannot hold office unless you believe in the inspiration of the Old and New Testaments and these very kind of, yeah. I would say, you know, the Presbyterian mark is yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, and Payne's right in there. Now, I don't think he probably, I don't know what he would have thought about those testos, you know, or whatever, but, but, but yeah, so, so he's, so he's a, he's a factor here and, and that's the project I'm working yeah. on. Um, so the project, so the project is answering what question? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to answer the question of what the narrative of the American Revolution in the Mid-Atlantic would look like yeah. if you took these Presbyterians seriously. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really kind of grappling with is just what is a Presbyterian? Because yeah. uh, I gave a talk here at the beginning of my, I don't think you could make it to that, but I gave a talk at the beginning of my month here at Mount Vernon. Yeah. And, and part of it was just the conversation was really good. We were sort of talking, you know, is a Presbyterian, is that a, a religious or theological term? Yeah. Is it an ethnic term to describe Scots-Irish? Scots -Irish, is yeah. it just a term to describe yeah. all Whigs who happen yeah. to go to church? Yeah. You know, I, I always love uh, Charles Lee, General Charles Lee's description of Pennsylvania as a macocracy when he was basically yeah. Uh, yeah, that's seeing all these Scots-Irish No, yeah, I mean, that's true. So, yeah. And then, and then, you know, over and over again, you see these references. Yeah. Actually, I just uh, one of the one of my fellow fellows here, Chris Gergens, I'll give him a shout out. Mm. Uh, showed me one from a Hessian, you know, describing the American Revolution as a Presbyterian rebellion, yeah. right? Yeah. And all, yeah. And, you know, so it's so I want to. I'm trying to explore that. What if I told the story of the yeah. Revolution in the Mid Atlantic in a way that you know I don't. I don't want to. I'm not trying to suggest 
anything sort of outrageous like, oh, religion was really the reason why the American Revolution happened or, you know, trying to totally reshape the narrative in some way. But I want to tell an interesting story that takes churches, Presbyterians, religion seriously. And there hasn't been much written about the Mid-Atlantic and the Revolution sort of in a sort of synthetic way in a long time. That's probably true. So what are some of the big books uh, who look at like Millennialism in the Revolution, or yeah. they've looked at religion in the Revolution. That you know, yeah, the, yeah. That, have, that have looked at the pulpits in the Revolution. Right, right, what right. are the big books that you're sort of, yeah. uh, you know, uh, working with and working right. through as, right. you, as you're putting your project? Sure. Together? Yeah. I mean, some of the some of the best stuff uh, is written by, and some of the stuff, some of the good stuff is what I'm drawing upon actually, rather than yeah. sort of arguing against. Um, the Notre Dame historian Mark Knoll yep. has really mm-hmm. sort of uh, pushed, um, you know, or shown the way in which uh, Presbyterianism and the, and the Enlightenment kind of merged. And my own advisor, Ned Landsman, sort of yeah. merged here. Yeah. Um, I'm also playing around with this whole, there's an old argument that goes mm-hmm. back to the 60s that somehow this evangelical revival in the 1740s, yeah. that was the first great awakening, mm-hmm. informed. Uh, yeah, Alan Heimer, right? It's, yeah, Alan uh, Heimer. But you know something? You see this. It's, yeah. it's as much as John Butler came along in '82 with that famous article, uh, "Enthusiasm <laughs> Described and Decried: The Great Awakening as Interpretive Fiction." It's a great debunking yeah. article, and then and then he, just... he includes it in his book, "A Washington Sea of Faith" in the early '90s. Yeah, of course. But but despite all of his work yeah. on this. That theme still prevails. Mm. I mean, George Marsden's biography of Jonathan Edwards, which won the Bancroft. Yeah, uh, you know, he basically calls Edwards a revolutionary. Yeah, um, you know. Well, so other... the, the big Murren, there was a counterfactual. No right, great, right. No great, no awakening, great awakening. No, yeah. no revolution. Yeah. Where are you at? I'm on the side. I'm on <clears throat> Butler's side. Yeah. However, I think what Butler, I think what Butler uh, misses is the fact that religion was, the Great Awakening was important to the revolution, yeah. but not in this kind of, a Patricia Bonamy uh, yeah. is the great argument, has the best argument here, or, or is the most famous for this argument, right? That it created some kind of democratic, egalitarian, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. resistance to authority that 30 years yeah. later, yeah. and if you look at, especially Presbyterians, and the way the 30 years developed between, say, 1740 and 1770, yeah. Yeah. they're not, they're not, rejecting Presbyterians are largely rejecting the enthusiasm and egalitarianism and individualism right. and they're saying that was sin yeah we you know we, we Gilbert Tennant this preacher <laughs> we disrupted churches it was yeah. awful he writes these like long tracts about I repent of what I did back then yeah and it's so no, I, it's no second great awakening Let's no clear, no right? yeah. so I think they but, embrace I think Presbyterians yeah. sort of embrace the enlightenment they become more rational yeah and if anything um, I gave a paper on this at the American Society of Church History, which which got a lot of kind of interesting response. But if anything, it's the you know the so-called old side, the group that rejected the Great Awakening yeah. that seems to have a you know. In other words, by the time you get to the 1770s, every they're all old side. But they but they they've come back together, right? I mean, right. They, they come reunited. Back together. Right. They the thing that struck always struck me about well well so first pause. I mean, Butler, you remember when that article, <clears throat> that article is really written at a moment where the Great Awakening had become this sort of catch-all right. 
uh, in a really reflexive, yeah. strange way to explain the revolution right, right. socially, right. intellectually. I mean, all different. It kind of was the Great Awakening. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, right, it, it right. became it's everything. Yeah. So, it, so those kind of correctives are certainly necessary. But yeah, they. But the the bigger question about you know, well, how what impact did it have? Is, yeah. is yeah. It's yeah. still out there. No, I'm sure so. to be struggled with. Yeah. You know, and saying the Great Awakening was transatlantic and all that right, is right, wonderful, right, but that right. doesn't really yeah. you know, say you know, say much. Uh, but so um, one of the things that a question I mean I mean the Presbyterian <clears throat> movement that emerges after the seventeen forties or or consolidates mm -hmm. eventually mm -hmm. I mean one of the things that's crucial I think about it is that it doesn't need Britain at all, right? I mean there's yeah. no British imperial connection. You know, right. there's there's a there's a it's largely a Scottish connection, which right. would be kind of you know. So, so there's there no institutional. There is this, no, there's no. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's very much a kind of Whig, yeah. uh, you know, sort of Whiggish kind of movement. Um, yeah. Just real another quick thought about the Great Awakening, in, uh, in light of what you were just saying. One of my big beefs is with this kind of uh, you know Whiggish kind of. Yeah. The Great Awakening formed the teleological kind of yeah, yeah. teleological yeah exactly um, is that as a religious historian it bothers me because it really yeah. treats the Great Awakening as little more than a, a, a forerunner you know it's not important yeah. for it's any other important. reason right. when it yeah. was a deeply religious and spiritual movement that impacted ordinary lives yeah. uh, in ways that I don't know maybe some academics might feel uncomfortable with so they don't like to talk about I have no idea but why not yeah. you know so so if you're oh and and you know even jealous. Christ, evangelical Christians who are historians yeah. treat it this way too, like in this Whig kind of way. Mator you know? Historians are, they tend to be, I mean, there's very few vulgar Marxist historians out yeah. there, but we tend to be materialists, essentially. Right, right. You know, we're right. sort of trying, well, what yeah. really matters, yeah. you know? Yeah. Ideas are great, and yeah. ideas can move things. But what what yeah. is the kind of social world right. like? Why yeah. would these ideas appeal mm -hmm. to these people? Right. There's some very good. You know, there's some can't very you good. Say, well, it was the you know there was yeah. some divinely yeah. You know, I think as soon as you spiritually rewarding thing to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as soon as you start making yeah. this great awakening as something else, yeah. it bothers me as a religious story because yeah. every you know for years, as you know, everybody yeah. has assumed religion is really a guise for something else. Yeah. Right. Well, right. You know, it's 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 not religion. It's yeah. it's Marxism or it's power. It's you know, yeah. so economics or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wonder if the if the fourth plank in the graduate students' arsenal would be what if it was uh, race, class, gender, and spirituality. Spirituality. What sure. I'm, I'm game. I'm game. You know, what yeah. about spirituality in yeah. this story? You know, I think it's a major... nobody asked that, but it's clearly a thing that yeah. motivates and and, yeah. and informs human life. Yeah. In a and way I think and I think integrates yeah. very well with all those other three: race, yeah. class, and, yeah. and gender too. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't exist in a vacuum by any means, but. Uh, so the structure of this project, uh, the Presbyterian. Yeah, um, the uh, the I'm, I'm looking where, at. Where I guess where are we at? How far away are we at from reading the book? Uh, maybe a couple of years. Okay, probably. Right. The, I'll talk about what I've been working on here at Mount Vernon. I've yeah. really been trying to make sense of the military aspects, the war itself, mm. and um, really the story here is not as much in Pennsylvania as it is in New Jersey. Oh, here we because, go. Yeah, here the, we go. The way of improvement right. leads to New home. Jersey. Back it to leads New Jersey. Home. Vivian will be in this book. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how much to steal from that book, you know, <laughs> to bring it to this. It's like, you really like, I don't want to have to rewrite that yeah, wonderful right. paragraph. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, um, so what I'm looking at is, and it's, it's really been enlightening. I've been reading Washington's letters. 
his military letters in, in uh, roughly from, you know, when he gets into New Jersey in the late fall, November of 1776. Important times. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, 1775. Five. Six. No, six. Oh, six, yeah. Six, yeah. yeah, and then he has, you know, he, he, he retreats. The British chase him across New Jersey, Trenton, the battle with Trenton, then he marches back up to Morristown. And he's in Morristown, New Jersey, which... I grew up five minutes from there. Here but, we go. Uh, yeah, so uh, Morristown, New Jersey. Hall of Fame, ladies and gentlemen. That's Montville, not Morristown, but yeah, neighboring town. Montville, 287. Township. Take 287, <laughs> pass Morristown, and you'll hit Montville. Um, yeah. Uh, but but so yeah, so uh, so the the he's in Morristown until May of 1777, and then the Philadelphia campaign begins, and and he leaves. Mm. But what's fascinating to me, and I've also been reading here uh, in published form, uh, William Livingston, the revolutionary governor of New Jersey's mm -hmm. uh, five volumes of papers, it really gives a kind of very uh, a more local take. I mean, in some sense, I'm looking at the way the revolution, the war affected um, everyday life in New Jersey. Mm. Uh, you know, it's obviously clear during the foraging, during that period especially, that uh, churches and Presbyterian ministers, probably targeted is a, too strong a word, although mm -hmm. there is some, there are some specific cases, but the way in which the destruction that took place by both armies affects churches, affects religious life among Presbyterians, yeah. disrupts the, uh, the flow of these communities. Um, Hessians, uh, you know, have particular things to say about yeah. using Presbyterian churches for hospitals, and, and so I came here with a kind of very ecclesiastical set of data, you know, set of right. information, you know, here's what happened in all of the churches, right? I know the New Brunswick church was used this way. I have diary accounts. I have, mm. you know, but what I didn't have was how to integrate that into the narrative of the revolution right, itself, right. both yeah. in terms of the, the, the army kind of superimposing itself on the countryside and then the response uh, of the, um, of the, the people and I'm looking a lot not here but I'll, uh, my next step is to read uh, the damage claims mm. that are made from people yeah. uh, in New Jersey they're very extensive in New Jersey and already just in some of the glimpses some of the glimpses of these damage claims I've been able to see uh, a lot of references to sort of churches and religion and but, you know, these are claims made to the state of New Jersey by state of New Jersey by by people who have you know had lost things. And where is this um, massive collection of damage? You claims? know something. I don't know where the I don't know where the originals are located. Yeah. They may be in the state archives. I'm, I'm working off of uh, microfilm okay. at the date. I'll be working at the, the David, David Library. Library. Right. Great. Yeah. So yeah. so one of the things uh, you're seeing now and the trends in the study of the revolution is a is a renewed interest in violence and understanding yeah. violence in the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Where, are you, where are your thoughts right now about yeah. violence in this? Because you're talking about a yeah. lot of destruction, yeah. Yeah. violence obviously. How does, it, right. how does it impact the story? Well, I would no means, I'd have no means developed the, my thoughts on this. I need to yeah. do a lot of secondary, more secondary reading on this because it, yeah. is, a, it is a hot topic. But, but violence is everywhere uh, in, in 1776, 1777, seven, even, even through the 1780s, mm -hmm. uh, at least in New Jersey, where, where a lot of the military activity is going on early in the war. Sort of you, have Hessians, yeah. you have Hessians uh, constantly being referred to as you know, raping women and destroying uh, homes. Um, you, know, you have uh, uh, 
there are again back to this term targeting. I mean, there mm -hmm. is the or are these attempts to sort of literally raise R A Z E sort of raise Presbyterian churches. Mm -hmm. Now again, I'm not sure if it's specifically Presbyterian churches, but all the examples, you know, that's yeah. the, that was a premeditated, but all the examples are Presbyterian mm -hmm. uh, churches. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of violence, you know, Washington often talks about the, the New Jersey as being disaffected, the yeah, Patriot right. movement is disaffected right, there, right. and you have a lot of the violence is on the loyalist side, you know, you have these, mm -hmm. these um, especially in places like in New Jersey, there's this vast kind of... Um, you're called the Pine Barrens, this kind of vast, mm -hmm. unpopulated area where a lot of loyalists go uh, and form sort of militia groups. Mm -hmm. And um, and and then, especially mm -hmm. in Monmouth County, there's a lot of battle between, there's some pitched battles that take place. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, in one, one case, I, one story, I have a sort of Presbyterian church on one side of the street and an Anglican church on the other. Really? And, you know, mm -hmm. the Patriots are using that, using the building as a, as yeah. a kind of shield and vice yeah, versa, they're shooting at each other. Right. So there's all these different skirmishes that Washington talks about, and he's got his people on yeah. the ground trying to control them. But that's what I need to explore more, yeah. the sort of nature of that violence. And, and I'm, even, yeah, I'm even open to like moving. I mean, I've been so fascinated by this since I've been here this month. I'm even open to kind of maybe even expanding this to move beyond just the religious dimensions yeah. of it. Yeah, that's interesting. So, well, so I guess we'll close with uh, some of your thoughts maybe on... Uh, on George Washington, you know, in the yeah, sense of, yeah. uh, you know, how how has he uh, evolved in your own thinking over this right. short period of time? Right, right. And maybe it's not that at all, but yeah. maybe it's more more about him coming into focus or something. Yeah. I, where where are we at with George? I think I think um, I'm, you know I've looked at George now in different ways. Obviously, we talked about the way I've looked at him in terms of religion. Mm. Um, you know, as I. This month, though, you know, I've seen more of the military side of, of Washington and the decisions that yeah. he makes. And I don't think I could say anything that would be new or innovative that other scholars wouldn't already pointed out, you know. But clearly, uh, his his as a leader, at least, as a military leader, I mean, his sense of, uh, of, of, of patience is amazing. You know, the way, I mean, I've been reading a lot of the letters back and forth between Charles Lee. You know, some of you know Charles Lee tried to undermine him yeah. and took, tried to take credit for the Battle of Monmouth. And, you know, there's this, I don't know how wonderful it is, but there's, for a historian it is, you know, he's, you know, in the fall of seven, you know, late, or December, you know, Lee has this uh, group at Peekskill, New York, his, his, his regiments, and Washington's like, get the heck over here, I yeah. get over here, I need you, I need, him. and he refuses to join him, and the yeah. letters back and forth, and you know, you do see Washington's frustration in private letters to his family, yeah. right, yeah. but but all of his professional letters, he continue. you know, I'd be, yeah. I'd be, you know, pretty ticked off, yeah. you know, but his, prof you know, I don't know where Lee is, this is a concern, yeah. I mean, as someone, you know, who's been very skeptical in the past of kind of this founder chic where right. we, right. where we kind of, you know, Oh, how virtuous it can, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, there's yeah. obviously there's a lot of, a lot of critiques we can make of Washington. I, I think I've developed much more of a pre, an appreciation yeah. for him as a leader yeah. um, through reading, you know, the way he handled things in, in New Jersey, at least yeah. in the beginning of the war. Well, we look forward to the project that is, as it evolves. I yeah. really appreciate 
the time today. I encourage everybody to go out there and read John Fia regularly. Yeah. Uh, he's thoughtful. He's insightful. He's courageous. <laughs> he's on edge. Yeah. Uh, he takes on the field sometimes. It's good to see him. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness he's out there doing the, doing what he's doing. Uh, yeah, no. But but you know you're welcome back here anytime, John. I really yeah. appreciated you being yeah. around. So thank I you. I had a great month. This is a great program. If you're listening, send in an application. If you're a yeah. scholar working on Washington, Doug's doing a great job here at Mount Vernon. It's a great place. The I fe- loved it. Loved the, it. The fellows get a discount in the shops. <laughs> John Pia was a little surprised that his discount <laughs> was only uh, ten to ten percent after the food discount was fifty percent. I have been hearing this all all month from Doug. I made the crucial mistake by complaining about the size of the discount, and Doug will never let me live it down. No, no. So you now know? he's going to go shop before yeah. he heads back home. Today's my last day, so I'm yeah. going to the gift shop, going to buy some things for my family, some books, okay. and, you know, those kind of things. So yeah, thanks for having me on. This was right. great. And John has a podcast as well. I don't know if we mentioned that. So so see, seek him out. At go the to the Way of Improvement Leads Home, www dot way of improvement one word dot com or just google my name no get it all right thank you we hope you enjoyed this week's discussion the washington library looks forward to continuing these conversations about our early american history please visit mountvernon.org forward slash library to learn more about the library's resources and programs And remember, Mount Vernon is open 365 days a year and looks forward to welcoming you. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.